Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called but of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and you're very welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent. This week I'm delighted to be joined by one of the most senior CTOs in the US, I would say, and certainly in the US cloud retail industry, Mike Fisher. Uh, you're very welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. CTO of, CTO of Etsy, I should have said. Yes, yes. no, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Um, Mike, we're going to get all into Etsy and Dublin and other issues in, in in a moment. You were a former VP of engineering, PayPal, and you were originally a U.S. Army officer. I I just got to ask you about that. Uh, you were a captain, were you? So I started um, maybe back up to uh, where I went to college. I went to West Point, United States Military Academy. Yep. Uh, studied computer science and 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 loved that field. You know, so from my high school high school days. But as part of West Point, I was commissioned into the active duty. So I was commissioned into the U.S. Army as an aviation officer. I ended up going to flight school for helicopters, and I flew uh, several different types of helicopters. I spent almost seven years on active duty. While there, I continued to pursue some education um, because I did love computers. And I had to make this big career decision about the seven-year mark to stay in and and do that as my career um, as an aviation officer in the military. Or get out and pursue this this tech thing, and um, mm. I I eventually left and became a software engineer, and that started my career. Um, yeah, developing, and uh, I loved it, and it's it's been fantastic. Got to see uh, some amazing sort of growth and and you know changes in the industry. You could have been one of those guys. I've just finished uh, listening to the rage and the fury, the Trump uh, biography. You could have been one of those guys that Trump called up with twenty four hours notice. You're going to be our next. Uh, you know, CTO of the army. Um, <laughs> but look, uh, as I said, you've, you're one of the most senior uh, CTOs um, in, I roughly refer to it as Silicon Valley, even though your headquarters is New York, um, I think. Your headquarters um, is New York, that's right. Let me just ask you first about Depop, which Etsy uh, acquired um, a while back. I think it was $1.5 billion. Why did you buy Depop? Yeah, so Depop was a recent acquisition, and this fits into this concept that we have of uh, really a house of brands. And it started, you know, I would think, with Reverb, 
which we've acquired um, almost two years ago. And the idea is that there are marketplaces um, that you know are out there that stand for something very special. You know, just like Etsy, we stand for the unique, the creative, helping these creative entrepreneurs. You know, Reverb has its very special, uh, you know, market. And Depop, we feel the same thing, that they stand for something very special. And they have this very unique, you know, community, uh, primarily, you know, Gen Z, but, you know, expanding. And, and, you know, they stand for this community and empowering people through, you know, purpose-driven reuse of clothing and, you know, and, and goods. And, you know, it's, it's an incredible sort of community that relates very much like the Etsy community um, of something they care deeply about mm. you know, in this apparel sector. And so for that reason, um, you know, we thought it fit great with our culture. And as we got to know them over you know, the, the pre-period, um, all of it made sense that you fit with our culture, you've got this great community, you've got something that your brand stands for. All of this started to make sense um, to come into our, our family. And so that, that's why we acquired them. Yeah, we, we have a deep pop buyer. Uh, customer consumer in our house she's 18 she's been using it for a couple of years she sold stuff on it as well actually um but one of the reasons that she uses it is because she has she's become a bit disaffected with what's loosely called fast fashion um doesn't like the ethics uh, of some of it um is that part of the brand and the culture there i mean I, I think you're exactly right think about you know how much we and certainly the younger generation care about things like reuse hmm. and you know something shouldn't just you know i think you know we think about things like it shouldn't just sit in my closet and grow old and out of fashion when someone else can use this and and make good use of it and it, it can be high fashion so i think there's absolutely an element of there i mean certainly you know there's the idea of you know getting you know new and you know it, you know we we definitely you know live in you know the times of you know, where we can change stuff out much more frequently, whether it's, you know, cars through leases and things like that. And clothing's, you know, no different. And mm. I think, so there's many, many aspects, but certainly that we're, you know, they think, you know, we're doing good for, you know, for our communities and the environment. Absolutely, it's got to be a part of that. Right. Um, let me ask you about engineering culture, which is something I've uh, read about. So you've written and talked quite a lot about this over the last um, few years. What exactly is that is engineering culture and do you detect any differences in for example the new york office and the dublin office where you have i think about 100 people that's right yeah we do have about 100 folks um in in the dublin office overall we've got about 1600 employees at this point about half of which are engineers so about half the companies is engineering and then if you include you know our our product partners and design and analytics that all work together with us. Um, it's, you know, probably coming up to two thirds of the company. So, you know, just, we are a tech company. So just like you'd expect, um, you know, the, you mentioned like writing about, and we can certainly write and we can, you know, put posters up when we go back in the office and things like that to, you know, decry what our culture is going to be. But the reality is your culture is how you behave. And, you know, you can talk about it as much as you want, but like how you behave day in and day out is the culture. And, you know, I think at Etsy, our mission is to keep commerce human. And the way I think about that is 
that's great. And that is how the marketplace operates. It takes a buyer and a seller and it connects them one at a time. And that is keeping commerce human, right? It's not the big mass retail that, you know, that, you know, we, we all certainly use. It's about that finding the artist that you love to make your kitchen table, to find you know, the, you know, this creative person to make this very special item you're giving as a gift to a wedding. But that mission wouldn't ring as true if it wasn't the way we operated internally as well. So it is important that we, as an engineering team and as really as a larger um, company, that we treat each other as humans. And I think that is the culture that we you know, aspire to and I think we have is that in every interaction, we think of each other as humans and that you have things going on in your life that we've, you know, I've got to think about. You know, one example of this, we are famous for you know, our, our blameless postmortems. Right. And this idea that you know, it's the concept that we trust that people have made the best decision they possibly could given the information they had at the time. And that is treating someone as a human. Just like, you know, if I made a mistake, you would trust that I didn't make it on purpose. I don't come to work to like make a big mistake or push something that causes the site to go down. I come to work to do a great job and for our sellers and buyers. And we all trust each other that that is the case. And, and so when something happens, and it invariably does with technology, then we, we come into that postmortem believing and treating each other as humans that we know this person made the best decision they could at the time, given their information they had. Um, and so I think that's the culture that we have. Isn't, and, isn't that easier to implement in a smaller company than a large one? I mean, you talk about 1,600 people. Um, I remember talking to uh, John Collison a couple of years ago. It was when Stripe had were just at this tipping point, going from a couple of hundred people to much bigger. And part of the challenge they had at the time, they've actually done it fairly well in that company is, is to how to maintain this uh this culture s- sort of an intimacy in a certain sense uh you know within their workforce within their between them and the engineers in particular but when your company gets to be you know a thousand people 1600 people you definitely can aspire to taking people at their uh you know at their best but you know the statistics will show that you won't always be able to do that. There are going to be people there who they're humans. Some of them are lazy, a minority, a small number. Some of them, you know, do you think, so how do you deal with that challenge in the context of what you were saying there about culture? There's no doubt that as you scale, you know, you, you've got to work hard at these things. And, you know, there's, we could talk about scale. That's kind of, you know, one of my areas of specialty. That's, you know, what I consulted in for almost a decade. Um, and, there's challenges both organizationally and technology with technology and scaling. Absolutely, you've got to work on the culture piece. You've got to have an environment in which you know we talk about like calling in instead of calling people out. That you know it's okay to pull someone aside and talk to them about like, hey, the way you communicated in that meeting, you know, made me feel a certain way or might intimidate, you know. You know, a senior engineer, you can imagine, might intimidate, you know, someone's been in the industry for 20 years, might intimidate a more junior person who's only been in the industry a couple of years if they behave a certain way. And so we try to, you know, to talk to each other and have a, have a you know, ability to do that. Managers with, you know, with um, engineers, engineers to engineers. We've got this amazing 
cohort of senior engineers, you know, we staff plus engineers, staff level and above. And I, all of my directors and above meet with these staff engineers and above um, once a month. And we talk about things like this. We talk about you know, everything from technical issues and challenges that we're facing to people issues and you know, uh, diversity and inclusion. And we talk about mentorship and we talk about all these things. And I think, you know, and we talk about like, you know, how do you respond to someone if they're, you know, if they're behaving this way? I think, so yes, you've got to work at it, but when you've got a culture that, that you know, facilitates that, it's, you know, it takes, hopefully it takes care of itself in some ways. This must have become a lot more acute over the last few years because the culture in general has shifted in workplaces, um, certainly in the last five years, certainly in the last decade. Um, there's a lot more sensitivity as well. Maybe enlightenment is another way of, of putting that. But does that make more things more difficult in the context of what you were just saying, in the context of everybody respecting everybody else, of an engineer who might have been there for 20, 25 years, used to doing things in a certain way, maybe brilliant, but maybe has a tough edge to him or her? I think, you know, things have definitely, within the industry in general, started changing for the better. So super excited about that. I think a lot of these um, you know, behaviors we've had for many, many years. And so in part, I see the industry hopefully looking at us as you know, something that they aspire to, and I think you know, I, I so I do think that's very positive. You know, and this is again everything from diversity and inclusion to culture and and all of this. Um, and so we want to maintain that. We want to continue to keep that with ourselves. I think a bigger challenge is you know with COVID and everyone being forced remote. Mm. That you know, and, and we've been very remote friendly. Um, and remote enabled, excuse me, in the past, we've had even pre-COVID, 25, 30% of our engineers were remote, not in an office. Only 50% of the engineers, even before COVID, were working out of the Brooklyn office. As you mentioned, we have the Dublin office, we have San Francisco, we have a, um, a number of other offices. Um, but you know, now that we're in this force sort of remote, 100%, and we can't get together, even periodically, which we were in the past. Our part of our remote culture was bringing people into offices periodically, you know, striving for four times a year. We have this really large event um, that we started you know, uh, about four years ago, where you know it was started as Engineering Day, but it's now become Engineering Week. And it's it's this idea of like let's get together and celebrate and teach each other and learn. And those types of events were awesome because you could get together and really you know, build some of those, um, you know, those connections and relationships that carry you through while you're working remotely, um, you know, other times. And that's been a challenge. And so we've had to rework some of our processes. We just got through, uh, you know, a, a month ago doing that engineering week um, and, you know, fully remote. And this is the second year we've done it fully remote. So we missed out on being able to see people in person, but we just go to extra lengths to, to try to keep those, build those relationships mixers, you know, all, all of these things, trying to get people to, to, to you know, know each other a little bit more. So like you said, we trust each other and we can mm. keep that human. Um, and so we've, we just work very, very hard at it. It's important to us and it's something we, we care a lot about. Or you could just strap on an Oculus Quest 2, a headset on, <laughs> go into Horizon Workrooms, right? You could do that, right? I, I, I saw some of the, the, the latest news coming out about that. Um, I, I don't know if that I I don't know that I would look any better. Maybe I would look better as a uh, as yeah, an avatar. A, a yeah, as an avatar. Well, you get uh, to yeah. you get to adjust it. Yeah, I could look 
probably much, much better. Um, <laughs> people might enjoy, enjoy that better than looking at me on the video. But I think there's something about, I mean, just like in person, seeing, really seeing people's facial expressions. Um, and, you know, for the most part, we try to keep video on. Um, we do understand that, you know, being on Zoom all day or, or meet or something is tiring. And so, you know, we encourage people when need to take a break from that. It's, it's okay. It's part of being human. And then when you're available and you feel like it, you know, turn the camera on, let people see your face and your emotions and, and, and you know, and experience that. So people would have their Zoom or whatever on for most of the time while they're working. Oh, no, no, just in meetings, in meetings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, just for yeah. meetings, yeah. Okay. Right. yeah. One of the things about the workspaces, I mean, a little bit skeptical about the idea of strapping on a giant, uh, you know, um, headset a la the, the Facebook workings. But I was slightly impressed with the idea that visual cues become more apparent. Like you can, you can see what people are doing with their hands in terms of if they want to make a point. You can see the orientation of their face. It's obviously not ideal, Right. But it sometimes beats um, just a, ba- a screen, a bank of faces, some of them poorly lit, et cetera, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you that I think, you know, VR is an AR have a, have a place to play. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, you know, in things like, um, you know, being a, you know, a, a pilot in aviation maintenance, you know, and mm-hmm. things like that, where you can wear headsets and visualize, you know, maintenance manuals over top of, of parts so that you're making sure you identify the right parts and are, are you know, are, are handling those properly and whatever specs you need to learn, you know, and like you said, in meetings where you can see, you know, like right now you can see my hands a little bit, but you right. can't see my full body. You know, I think places like that. Um, and also because we're on zoom, I can see you, but I'm looking at the camera. So I'm, I can kind of see you at about 50%. And I would imagine in a Zoom meeting, what I try to do, I don't know about your etiquette in Zoom, but in mine, I try out of respect and politeness to look at the camera rather than (laughs) the other person or myself. Um, And that again takes a little bit away. But anyway, that's what they're doing. Um, But in terms of the core the, the core thing about marrying culture and presence. And if you have 50% of engineers in place in person, and if that's not possible at the moment, I'm assuming it's not possible at all in the Dublin office, um, can you maintain a culture? How important is that in-person presence for, for the, for, you know, to develop and maintain the culture? Yeah. I think when it's, when you can't be there in person and you're right, we're, we're not, you know, not in person in any of our offices right now in you know, New York or San Francisco or Dublin. Um, I think it's incredibly important that we go, you know, work extra on this. So you take the time to, you know, find other ways to reach out and, and communicate with people and form relationships. So, you know, I don't think it's impossible, but I think it requires extra effort. And I think you've mm. got to be willing to put in that time and, you know, and, and do that. Mm. Okay. Um, and do you think that's going to change anytime soon? Do you, do you foresee going back to the office anytime soon? I mean, you know, we really were hoping like most people to, to open up again this fall. Mm. And I think, you know, the Delta variant and other things that we're seeing are, are making that less and less likely. You know, the most important thing for us, you know, again, I'll just probably keep coming back to this, like the importance of our mission and keeping commerce human and keeping our, you know, treating each other as humans. Like we care about our employees' health and welfare utmost. Mm. It's so important to us. And I think, you know, 
we're going to take that into account. And you know, we have a whole workplace team. We have a a how we work a working group that is focused on this. They think about and spend you know tons of time thinking about how do we collaborate and how are we going to open up the offices safely when when the time comes and how do we make sure that you know whatever local guidance or the local community how they're behaving it also doesn't feel you know different in our offices and that it's you know it's not something oh corporate says one thing but locally mm-hmm. you know it's different we want to be respectful of the local communities and how they're behaving so all of that's being taken into account and I'm hopeful that this later this fall, that we've been delayed a little bit, but later this fall, we'll start opening back up. But if not, then we'll continue to be vigilant, um, you know, both for the health and safety, but also, like you said, maintaining that culture and connections and doing what we can to make people feel connected um, to each other. I do wonder how many people will want to come back. I, I personally am kind of itching to get back into the office, and I know some of my colleagues are, but I know some others have sort of developed habits and comforts uh, at home. And the longer we're out of the office, maybe it becomes a little bit harder if you regard it as important to bring people back into the office, to mandate it, you know? Yeah, I you know, I don't think you know, Etsy is a company that's going to mandate this. In fact, we've already sort of laid out the options for employees to choose, you know, from these these um, these selections from being fully remote. And mm. You know, they if they've like you said, if they've developed that culture, if they've moved to a place where you know away from the office and they want to go fully remote, we're enabling that. And um, but with that, we do you know from even pre-pandemic, we've had policies in place to allow them to travel back. So even if you're fully remote, you know, at least within engineering, we've had policies to say you can travel back you know x times a year especially when there's these big events like engineering week and others that it's really important to, you know, or they get excitement. Someone's mm. just telling me like, you know, they let, they leave these, um, you know, events just fully energized, um, tired because they've spent a bunch of time with colleagues, but like fully energized. And that comment actually came up and we have an employee resource group, you know, like a lot of companies do for, for various groups. We've now started one for remote employees. And so, and this is for employees who, not are forced remote because of the pandemic, but are actually full-time remote, have committed to being remote. And this group supports each other. And I'm their executive sponsor. We brought in our CEO and myself to talk to them about topics that are interesting and concerning to them. So that's how committed we are to like making sure that they feel part of this. And, you know, they're, like you said, they're a big part of our workforce growing, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, probably as we come out of the pandemic, still growing, you know, um, you know, we might end up from 25 to 40%. Who knows what the percentage will be, but it's important to us. Um, and, you know, it's, it's something that we care about and that's the type of stuff that we're doing to, to ensure that they feel supported. It's very interesting that you're giving, uh, your employees, all of these options. And I'd say the people that you're looking to hire in Ireland, because I know you made an announcement that you're looking to hire, I think dozens was the term you used uh, of people uh, in Ireland at the moment. They will be interested in, in hearing about that. Yes, that's right. You know, we've, we've been in Ireland for a number of years and, you know, you know no surprise to you that this is a very talented workforce. Um, you know, it's, um, you know, that's what we found is from an engineering perspective, we've got great engineers, you know, it's a vibrant community, um, you know, within the technology community. We've had meetups, you know, we've gotten to speak at, at some of these and, and bring people in the community. 
And we want to take advantage of that and expand our presence. And yes, we are, you know, working with, you know, the, the offices and employees to figure out like, yeah, what fits them best? Mm. You know, we will have a, a Dublin office and, you know, and people will have the option to come into there. Um, but, you know, we also want to make sure that we enable people to, to work how they need to given their situations. What, their what was the driver to expand here in Dublin? Just increased business? So we are always looking for great engineering talent. Um, you know, and so we are continuing to hire within the US. Um, but you know, Dublin does have great tech talent. And you know, as we look across, you know, certainly one of the challenges of working you know, across you know, that is time zones. And, but I think we're getting better at it. And, you know, we believe that, you know, with certainly with a critical mass of individuals, that that'll be less important, that, you know, we can have full teams. And so that's some of the things that we're hiring for is full, full teams of full stack developers, data scientists, um, you know, mobile engineers, and, you know, work trying to get them working as full squads, we think sort of mitigate some of the time zone issues. But yeah, the sort of main driver is definitely the tech talent. We're, you know, like a lot of companies going going where there's talent and and trying to recruit them. That's interesting. I mean, you'll be aware that in Ireland, we've had an interesting, we're still getting used to this idea that we're any good at that stuff like engineering <laughs> or tech. And sometimes when we hear um, international executives say that we're good or we're great, or we're, maybe it might sound like a platitude, you know, that you're talking to somebody who's from Ireland, so you'll be polite and you'll say that they're great. So there often isn't that much definition um, or clarification as to what great tech talent actually means. Maybe you might be able to clarify. Well, what does it mean when you say there's great tech talent here? What does that mean? Yeah, I think, you know, I don't know if I could define it for you as much as, you know, point to, you know, when you look at companies like Etsy, and we're expanding, or you know, some of our you know, people that we uh, you know compete with are you know, for talent, Google and Facebook. And when you see them growing a tech presence, mm. I think that's a clear indicator um, that there is talent there. You know, I, I do think we in the past used you know Dublin primarily for you know what we call infrastructure engineers. Right. You know, the old terms are like system administrators. Now more like site reliability engineers, and we're. And I think that's how we dipped our toe into the marketplace. We are now finding that you know there are talented full-stack developers, data scientists, mobile engineers that you know have these specialties that go beyond you know. And the, again, the the one of the reasons that we started with you know like system administrators or you know what now is the the sort of site reliability engineer is that we could follow the sun. And use that model to our advantage. And I think so, you know, that's kind of one reason we sort of started that way. But as we got to know the community and we've had people, you know, like Rasmus, um, you know, the, you know, the sort of founder of PHP who works on our staff go over there and do startups, you know, we're able to sort of meet members of the community um, or, or do meetups, you know, <laughs> we can meet members of the community and realize that like, yeah, there's this great talent here that we, we weren't taking advantage of. And so, that was, um, you know, the, the sort of our way of getting to know the talent and saying like, yeah, these are great engineers that we would love to have on our team. They meet all of our technical criteria. They fit with our culture. You know, they they love the mission. Uh, hopefully, you know, and, um, you know, we've got a lot of great uh, sellers. Uh, you know, of course, buyers um, on the marketplace, but also sellers um, in in Ireland. Um, you know, on the on the Etsy marketplace. 
And I think, you know, you feel all this, like people, you know, when we approach them, they're like, oh yeah, I, I know Etsy. I know somebody who sells on it. I bought there or something. Um, and they're excited to be part of that. Hmm. Just one or two things uh, before I, I let you go, Mike. Um, physical stores. I think you've won in Oxford in the UK. I think you might have won in the States as well. Maybe is it in Brooklyn? Um, there seems to be a trend. I don't know how significant or major it is of major online uh, retail companies opening uh, physical presence. Amazon's now talking about a, a department store um, or, or a series of department stores. Is that for for Etsy? Is that something that's just dipping the toe, or is it uh, symbolic, or is there any future in that in a physical store? Yeah, I don't think. Well, I know physical stores are not something that we're concentrated on. You know, one of the things that was that we saw during the pandemic when most retail, especially real world retail, shut down because of supply chains. You know. Um, you know, you, you hear these stories about, you know, we can't get produce, you know, eggs or something because there's, you know, two places in you know, the world that manufacture the cartons that eggs need to be shipped in. So it's not a lack of eggs, it's a lack of cartons because they can't get these, you know, you hear things like that is what shut down retail. Our sellers are distributed, you know, supply chain. And so because we have 5 million sellers around the world, our marketplace didn't shut down. In fact, you know, the story on mask is really an amazing story. So, you know, in, in March of 2020, when the CDC came out with guidance that said, wear a mask, it will help prevent the spread of this. Mm. You know, that day, if you'd come to Etsy and look for masks, you would have found Halloween mask or facial beauty mask or something like that, because that's what the marketplace sold. Within hours, you know, we saw sell not only sellers start making masks. So people who you know, their wedding shops were shut down because no one could get married in person and they were making gowns, would shift overnight to start sewing masks. And we did some cool things in the back end with our search algorithms to immediately shift that. We we used humans to retrain a bunch and then we used that data set to train our machine learning models. And almost instantly, we, we fixed the issue of not being able to find a protective mask. Um, but our sellers reacted instantly to this. And then within days, weeks, we had thousands and thousands of sellers. And imagine, you know, a, a major retailer, you know, trying to stock shelves doing that. And it did, like, you can mm. look how long it took them. It took them, you know, months and months to get their sort of, you know, all, everything in order and, and get shipping done. And our sellers were able to do this in a matter, you know, literally a matter of hours, but in some cases, you know, at most days. And we were, you know, one of the, the few places that had masks for people. And, you know, Again, amazing story, you know, you know, sort of really important thing about our marketplace, but also like doing good for, you know, humanity of like mm. being able to supply this was like so important. And so as you know, engineers, you know, certainly the sellers are proud that they can make that impact. But as engineers, we're like super proud that like our marketplace is, you know, is being used for this amazing thing of helping out all of humanity um, you know, with, with this. And so that's the type of stuff that, you know, we excites us and is, is part of that purpose and mission. Could you tweak the algorithm to send a few masks down to Florida and uh, Alabama? And uh, <laughs> so um, I just before we came on air, I was telling you that I have this mission to go to 50 states before I'm 50. And that's not far off, by the way, that 50 and fit uh, the age 50, I should say. And at the moment, I'm looking at the next states that I'm going to visit in the US. And 
looking at the New York Times COVID map where it gets dark red the most is all all down along the south. And they're the states that I can't go anywhere near uh, for that reason. So if there are any Etsy buyers listening to this podcast, uh, any Etsy sellers rather, if you could start please targeting those southern states, because I really don't have much time left um, uh, to get to those states. Um, just a quick one on uh, your CEO, Josh Silverman. He, he remarked that Etsy had seen the highest growth of almost any company in the sector last year when the pandemic first hit and the, and the lockdowns started. He says it's eased off now a little bit, but that there still is you know, decent growth and, and healthy growth. But do you ever think you'll see that kind of growth spurt again at Etsy that, that, that you saw last year? You know, we're not, you know, at least I'm not in the sort of business of, you know, uh, of predicting, you know, the growth rates. I think you know, that's, that's what our financial team does, um, you know, study the market and then study, you know, I think my job and the engineering job is to be prepared for growth. In yeah. fact, you know, one of the things that Josh credits when I joined, we were still in data centers, and you know, the again the supply chain problem of data centers. If we were still in data centers when that growth hit, and we did grow over you know triple digits, um, you know, in 2020, we would not have been able to keep up with that demand. And so by migrating to the clouds and, you know, all the other wonderful work that the engineers have done with getting us to be able to auto scale and, you know, and finding all of those, you know, points that, that you know, the, the next scale pinch points and things, that is what enabled us to do that. And so I think, you know, whatever the growth is in the future, that's what, you know, the engineers, um, we want to be prepared for that. And so mm. we're constantly thinking about what is the next scale pinch point. Um, and these are super interesting challenges you know, how do we, you know, most recently we've taken, I mentioned like how much data science and machine learning is important to us. And, you know, how do we take, you know, data from now closing in on a hundred million items, a hundred million unique items and figure out what you want in your, you know, your one or two search query, um, you know, that, that you're, that you're willing to, to, to do. That's an amazing, interesting challenge that really no one else has that, you know, other e-commerce, they have SKUs and catalogs and everything. And, yep. you, know, and you know, we don't have that. Um, and so our job as engineers is to be ready for the scale, be ready for these challenges with, you know, uh, with growing our sellers and our items. And it's it's exciting and, and you know, a lot of fun. Just lastly, and staying with on that theme, logistics seems to be a big issue for a lot of online, big online sellers as well, as in online companies. Amazon buys its own planes or leases them. Um, at what point do you think that that might become a pain point, as you describe it, for Etsy? Or is it a totally different model to think about in a different way? Yeah, I think the beauty of the marketplace is that, is that it's totally different. It's super distributed, right? It's, you know, 97% you know, of our sellers are individuals. Mm. They are artists and craftspeople that are sitting in their workshops, their basements, their kitchen tables and making things and shipping it out. And that distributed marketplace is the beauty of it, that if somebody can't get a supply and they've got to you know, put their shop on pause or slow down, someone else can pick it up. And I think that's the beauty of this uh, But does that mean it will always take an extra day or an extra two days to get the item? You know, I think Etsy is the place for special unique, that you know, we are not trying to be you know, the, the next large e-commerce that ships it in 12 hours. And you come to Etsy because you want something special. A lot of it is personalized. 
you want a personal name, you want it colored a different way. Um, you know, you want, I mean, you know, tell you about like my recent purchase of a kitchen table and being able to interact with the seller back and forth about, you know, the color that I wanted the top versus, you know, the, the legs and, and like, that's amazing. Was it, was and, this you doing this haggling? Yeah. Well, it was, it wasn't <laughs> as much as telling them what I wanted. Yeah. Uh, my family and I have like what I wanted specifically to match, you know, we're trying to get a table that extends so that right. we can have family gatherings. So do you, and you, you, you went into that micromanagement with, Oh with yeah. Yeah. Seller. It's, I think that's the beauty of, yeah. <laughs> that's the beauty yeah. of Etsy is you can have these conversations with sellers and say, this is our space. And, but I needed to expand to this. And I like these colors that matches our, you know, our color palette in the mm-hmm. home. And like, that's the wonderful thing. You're and, dealing with a human. Yeah. 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 Dealing with a human. And it's not going to be here overnight, but it's mm. going to be made by hand by somebody. And it's going to be made exactly what I want. And like, that's the awesome thing about Etsy. And it, I don't need it overnight. Mm. Right. Listen, Mike Fisher, CTO of Etsy. It's been an absolute delight uh, chatting to you today. Um, and the very best look of future and the very best look with all of the hiring here in Dublin that you're doing over the coming weeks and months. And that's all we have time for this week on The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Michael, the tech editor of The Irish and Sunday Independent. So thanks a million for listening or watching, uh, as it were. And I'll talk to you same time next week. Bye-bye. 